If you have your Bible, go ahead and open up to Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22 is where we are headed together this morning with one more story at the table in the Gospel of Luke together. We'll begin in verse 7 in just a moment. And as you're turning there, you know, over the past two months, we've been walking through the Gospel of Luke together. And we have seen that walking through the Gospel of Luke is not all that different from walking through a buffet line. Everywhere you turn, there's another meal. There's another table. There's another gathering with people. Remember the scholar who said, in Luke's gospel, Jesus is either going to a meal, at a meal, or coming from a meal. At every moment throughout the gospel of Luke. And we have found this to be true. Just about every other chapter has a scene at the table. We've seen that it is at the table that Jesus welcomes outcasts like tax collectors and sinners. It's at the table that Jesus challenges the arrogant Pharisees and law experts. It's at the table that Jesus cultivates friendships. It's at the table that Jesus builds the kingdom of God. All of this happens at tables throughout the Gospel of Luke. And as we've been reading, we've seen Jesus eat at many tables with many different people. But today, we see him gather at the table with his disciples. All along, we've seen him declaring and and demonstrating the kingdom of God around tables. But he does so most clearly at this table that we will read together today. I mean, just imagine a couple and all the many meals that they share together throughout their life. They go on dates, on and on, but when they arrive at that rehearsal dinner, right? Like that is a meal above all meals, right? You see a little bit of what those, that couple's life is like, but it is there that they, with their toasts and celebrations, declare their intention of of life together. On and on it goes. This dinner sets and shares more than any other. And so it is with the dinner we will read about today in Luke 22. The last meal that Jesus shared with his disciples before going to the cross, which is why we often call it the Last Supper. It is at this table that Jesus declares and demonstrates the kingdom to his disciples, and it is at this table that he continues to declare and demonstrate this kingdom to us today. And so let's read together Luke 22, beginning in verse 7. Luke 22, beginning in verse 7. Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Where do you want us to prepare for it? they asked. He replied, 
As you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him to the house that he enters. And say to the owner of the house, the teacher asks, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, all furnished. Make preparations there. They left and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink it again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. But the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine on the table. The Son of Man will go as it has been decreed, but woe to that man who betrays him. They begin to question among themselves which of them it might be who would do this. A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. And Jesus said to them, The kings of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors, but you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater? The one who is at the table? Or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. You are those who have stood by me in my trials, and I confer on you a kingdom just as my father conferred one on me, so that you may eat and drink at my table just as my father at my table, in my kingdom, and sit on thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. But he replied, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. But Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny three times that you know me. This is the word of God for the people of God. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, we thank you that you have come to eat and drink with sinners and tax collectors. We thank you that you come eating and drinking with us. God, I pray that as we consider the words of your scripture together this morning, that you would sharpen our minds and soften our hearts, that we might know you and love you. We pray this all in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Amen. So we have arrived at the table of all tables. Right? This, this story is told a little bit differently in each of the four Gospels. And Luke has his own unique emphasis as all of his many table stories culminate in this one. So we'll walk back through the passage, as we often do, and see what it is that Luke is showing us as Jesus declares and demonstrates his kingdom at the table. And so this passage begins by describing the preparations to be made. And I I want you to listen closely to how Luke describes these preparations, beginning in verse 7. He says, It is the day on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. And then Jesus tells Peter and John to go and make preparations for the Passover. He tells them to go into the city, meet a man, and ask, Where is the guest room where we may eat the Passover? So in verse 13, they go and found things just as Jesus had told them, so they prepared the Passover. And finally, when the time comes and everyone arrives at the table, Jesus says to them all, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you. Do you hear it? Five times in just a few verses, Luke repeats again and again, this is Passover, 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 Passover. He says this over and over again as he tells the story. This is significant. So what is Passover? What is the significance that he is describing here? Well, it is a special meal established back in Exodus chapter 12. Remember, at the start of Exodus, God's people are in slavery in Egypt. They're crying out to God for deliverance. And so God called Moses to speak for him and advocate for the people. And through a series of signs, God demonstrates his mighty power and slowly wears Egypt out. And the very last sign is accompanied by a special meal, the Passover. The people are to slaughter a lamb and spread its blood over their doorpost as a sign of God's protection over them. And then they are to eat the meat roasted with bitter herbs and yeastless bread. Why yeastless bread? Well, it's a sign that they are in a hurry. It's a sign that that they don't have time to let the bread rise, right? They got to make it and be ready to go. Exodus 12 verse 11 says, oh, I don't have that one. All right. Exodus 12, 11 says this, this is how you are to eat it with your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste. It's the Lord's Passover. It's basically an ancient way of saying, hey, go through the drive through and eat it in your car because you need to get on the road. All right. You're about to need to get going. Why? Because God is about to deliver them from Egypt. They're about to get on the road. So Exodus 12, 17 says this, Celebrate the festival of unleavened bread, because it's on this very day 
that I brought your divisions out of Egypt. I brought your people out of Egypt. It's on this day that you have been set free. So celebrate it. This meal, the Passover, is a celebration of freedom. It's a meal that declares God has protected us. God has delivered us. But then the verse continues on, and it says, celebrate this day as a lasting ordinance for the generations to come. And so Passover is not only an occasion to remember what God has done in past generations, but also an occasion to share what God is doing and has done with future generations. Exodus 12, 26 through 27 goes on to say, when your children ask you, what does the ceremony mean to you? Well, then tell them, it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes, but he struck down the Egyptians. So the Passover meal is a time of celebration, but also education, right? They celebrate what God has done, but they're also teaching their children. They're teaching new generations. This is what God has done. This is who God is. And beyond all of this, this is a meal that celebrates identity. It roots the people in identity. This is who God is, and this is who we are. God is a God who protects and delivers And we are his people who have been set free by him. So Luke draws our attention to all of this as he emphasizes over and over again the Passover, the Passover, the Passover. This is what he is pointing the readers to. It's a meal that celebrates who God is and who we are. And it's a meal that teaches that tradition and passes it on to others. So this question emerges. All right, is Jesus the teacher and his disciples gather around this meal? What will Jesus be teaching about it? What is Jesus saying about this meal? Right, just as parents are going to tell their children what this meal means, what does Jesus say to his disciples about what this meal means? means. Well, we hear Jesus' words about this meal in verses 15 through 20. And Luke's recording of Jesus' words at the Last Supper is very unique in the Gospel of Luke compared to the other Gospels. Because you see, in the Gospel of Luke, you may have noticed this earlier, Jesus speaks not once, but twice. He doesn't just say one thing about the meal. He says two things about the meal. He speaks over the food and then over the cup. And then he speaks over the food and the cup again. Take a look again at verses 15 through 17 through 18. He first says, he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. And then he speaks over the cup and says, take this, divide it among yourselves. I tell you, I will not drink it again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Right? So he speaks over the meal, 
and he speaks over the cup. And then in verses 19 and 20, he does it all over again. Verse 19, he took the bread, he gave thanks, he gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then in the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. So what's going on, right? Jesus says something about the food and the drink. And then again, he says something about the bread and, and the cup. What, what does this mean? Well, I think that Luke is drawing our attention to two powerful themes that connect at this table. You see, that first couple of things he says, he repeats himself. I will not eat this or drink this again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. So this table is proclaiming the kingdom of God. But then he goes on to describe that the bread and the cup is his body and his blood. So how do these things connect? There's the kingdom, but then there are these pictures of the cross. Well, first, the, the kingdom. He's declaring the kingdom of God. He says this twice, right? I will not eat this again or drink this again until that kingdom comes in its fullness. For a long time, the Jews had long anticipated the coming of this kingdom. And one of the images they had for it was spoken by Isaiah in chapter 25. And he speaks of it this way. He says, On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats, the finest of wines, right? This kingdom will come and, and it will be a great feast. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. So in Isaiah 25, they have this picture of what the kingdom of God will look like. It's going to look like sitting around a, bake, a banquet table, and all that is wrong with the world will be made right. Death will be no more. Tears will be wiped from faces. This is what the kingdom of God will be like. And Jesus says, as we eat here, we declare and proclaim this kingdom. This is reaffirmed in the book of Revelation, right? Which describes, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And then in Revelation 21, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. He will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. This is the picture of that kingdom. 
When God is with God's people, all that is wrong will be made right. Death will be no more. Tears will be wiped away. And so Jesus draws his disciples to this by saying, as we eat this bread, as we drink this cup, it will find its fulfillment in the kingdom of God. He declares this and points them to this. And surely this is good news. Yes, this is what we've been waiting for. But how will that kingdom be established? How does that kingdom come? Well, this is why he says a second time, why he speaks a second time over the bread and the cup. Because that second time he says, this is my body given for you. And then after taking the cup, he gives thanks and says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you. How is this kingdom where death is, de is defeated and tears are wiped away, how is this kingdom established? By his death. By his own tears in the garden just after this scene. You see, this kingdom of victory is not won by shedding the blood of all of their enemies. This kingdom is established by shedding his own blood. If you want the glory of this great kingdom, we're going to walk through suffering. That's how we get to this kingdom. He's holding these two things together at the table. It proclaims a future day when death will be no more. But for now, this table beckons us into death and says this is actually the way toward life. And these two things come together at the table. This is incredible, right? The kingdom and the cross go together. And the table of the Lord declares both. And so Jesus is there sitting with his disciples, teaching on the meaning of this meal. And you would imagine, I mean, this is a pinnacle of spiritual experience, right? I mean, you're having like the top Passover meal with the Messiah, who is the Son of God. Wow, this is amazing transcendence. And yet, things take a turn, don't they? Jesus has painted this incredible picture of the kingdom of God, how it's established through his sacrifice on the cross, and he immediately has the occasion to demonstrate that. In verse 21, Jesus says, the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine on the table. Then in verse 24, a great dispute arose among them as to which one of them was considered the greatest. I mean, they've heard him denounce this very behavior among the Pharisees and law experts. And yet there they are doing the same thing at Passover with the Messiah. 
And then in verse 34, Jesus tells Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny three times that you know me. So this incredible, transcendent Passover experience is followed by betrayal, quarrel, and denial. What does this show us about the table of the Lord? I think it shows us at least a couple of things. First, it it really does show us who Jesus' table is for. Shows us who this table is for. Remember back to the very first meal that we looked at together in Luke chapter 5. Jesus has called Levi to follow him. And Levi says, hey, come over, let's have dinner. And he invites all of his buddies, the tax collectors, and so on. And the Pharisees see Jesus eating with Levi and these tax collectors, and they ask Jesus, hey, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and with sinners? And Jesus answers them. And he says, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Who is this table for? Well, it's for the sick. It's for the sinners. This was true at the beginning of his ministry. We can see that it is still true just before the cross. See, Jesus doesn't only eat with sinners and tax collectors and self-righteous Pharisees as a guest. He also eats with sinners and tax collectors and self-righteous disciples as a friend. His own followers will betray him, deny him, and dispute with each other. And this is the table that he welcomes them to. He sits with each one of them. So who is this table for? It's for those who are sick. It's for those who have sinned. This table is not for people who have their life together. It's not for people who have all the answers. It's not for people who conveniently put on a smile wherever they go. It's a table for the sick. It's a table for those who are tired, weary, wrestling. Jesus says, come to the table. That's who this table is for. It also shows us this. Not only who this table is for, but how Jesus responds to those at the table with him. Right? He warns the one who would betray him. Woe to you. He corrects the ones who are quarreling with one another. He prays for the one who would betray him. But not once, not once does he condemn any of them. 
He corrects. He warns. He does not condemn. There is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Paul writes in Romans 8. You see, he he corrects them as they're arguing over who's greatest, who's least. He says, hey guys, the Gentiles do this, not you, right? I'm here, we're here to serve, not find the best seats. We don't lord it over one another. Right? Jesus could have easily said, the one who will betray me, his hand is on the table. And then picked up his own hand and pointed a finger, right? Jesus could have done that. He could have lorded it over all of them in that moment. But Jesus doesn't respond this way. That's not who he is. He says, I am among you as one who serves. And so he corrects them. He says in verse 27 or 28, you are the ones who stand by me in trials. Guys, stop arguing with each other and stay by me. We're about to go into some trials. Stick with me. Now, it turns out they're not really even going to be able to do that. And the one who displays that the most, of course, is Peter. Jesus says, Simon, Simon, Satan's asked to sift all of you as wheat. You're going to betray me. But how does he respond to even that knowledge? What does Jesus say? In verse 32, I've prayed for you, Simon. I've prayed for you. That your faith may not fail, may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Jesus doesn't only forgive Simon for denying him, he has already commissioned him to strengthen the other disciples. Jesus doesn't just say, all right, you denied me, but you can stay at the table. He says, hey, you're going to deny me, but once you come back, because I know you will, once you come back, I need you to help everyone else out too. Sometimes the things that we struggle with are the very things we're called to help others through. This is what Jesus has called Peter to. How does Jesus respond? He doesn't lord it over them. He doesn't condemn them. He prays for them and shows compassion. His mercy is ever abundant, and his invitation is always extended. And we see this at the table. Who is this table for? It's for the sick and the sinners. And how does Jesus respond to them? Constant mercy and invitation. This is who Jesus is. This kingdom established through the cross. And Jesus shows us that by extending mercy and serving his disciples. This is how we get to that glorious kingdom. 
And so as we come to the end of this passage and come to the end of, of really the series that we've been going through, Luke, I want to say one more thing. If we look all the way back to that first story, that first table story in Luke chapter 5, that story began with Jesus approaching Levi at his tax booth and saying, come follow me. Come follow me. As we get to this table story, we saw it begins as he pulls aside Peter and John and says to them, go, make preparation. Go, make preparations. This is what our lives in Christ are. Every one of us begins with that invitation, come, follow me. Come, follow me. But that invitation of following Christ leads to a day when Jesus will tell us all, go, prepare the way. Go, make preparation. This is what it is to follow Christ. We are called to be a people preparing the world for his great banquet feast. We are called to be a people announcing this good news. This kingdom is coming. There is a day when death won't be anymore. There is a day when these tears will be wiped away. Jesus begins by calling every one of us, come follow me. But then he sends us and says, go prepare the way for this kingdom to come. This is what it is to be God's people, to follow him, and to prepare the way for him. And so today, this invitation stands before us. Let us come to the table today. Let us remember the kingdom of God and the cross by which it has been established. And let us go from the table nourished and ready to prepare the world for his arrival. May it be so. Amen.